0: The CIA is covertly operating in Ukraine. What a shocker. And President Biden rolls out a $600 billion Great Reset plan at the G7 summit. You're listening to the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I'm Brad Beakley. Top story of the day, which should be a surprise to absolutely no one, especially if you've been listening to this show. CIA operatives and a U.S. commando network are coordinating the flow of weapons inside Ukraine and providing intelligence and training as part of a secret operation this according to the New York Times. While much of this work is taking place at bases in Britain, Germany, and France, the CIA is operating secretly in Ukraine. There are also commandos from a host of NATO countries, including Britain, France, Canada, and Lithuania. It is now also known that the U.S. Army's 10th Special Forces Group has established a planning cell in Germany to coordinate military assistance to Ukraine commanders and the rest of the country's armed forces. The U.S. commandos are not on the front lines with Ukrainian troops and instead are advising from headquarters in other parts of the country or remotely by encrypted communications. Obviously, this information comes from officials speaking on the condition of anonymity because that's where all the news comes from these days. There's also apparently some lower-level Ukrainian commanders who recently expressed appreciation to the United States for intelligence gleaned from satellite imagery – which they can call up on tablet computers provided by the Allies. The tablets run a battlefield mapping app that the Ukrainians use to target and attack Russian troops. An app. Sounds like a drone app to me. The article goes on to say that few other details have emerged about what the CIA personnel or the commandos are doing, but their presence in the country hints at the scale of the secretive effort to assist Ukraine that is underway and the risk that Washington and its allies are willing to take. This all despite Biden saying that the White House will not deploy troops on the ground in Ukraine. Okay, first of all, are there people who exist who did not think that we had intel agents over there covertly manipulating things? Is that not what the CIA does? Is it not in their job description? Do they not have a history of this? I mean, this story is just weird to me because this isn't a surprise to, I would say, most people. I mean, this was openly talked about during a Chatham House Royal Institute of International Affairs panel discussion over a month ago. I played the clip of it. The title of the panel discussion was War and Politics. Here's the clip again. This is a woman named Veronica Angel of the John Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies. She's responding to a question at the Chatham House about the possibility of troops on the ground in Ukraine.
1: We have every signal that comes from both the United States Army which is very important specifically which more or less means NATO and the countries that are bordering Ukraine, and member states individually, that they will keep supporting Ukraine militarily with humanitarian aid um, and with um, uh, hitting Russia where they've managed to decide that they can work together and if not individually. So in that area, yes. You've asked whether there will be troops on the ground. No, absolutely not. There is absolutely no indication that there is a desire for uh, to put uh, NATO troops on the ground. And you cannot send either the army of individual member states because even if you don't say it's a NATO operation, you send a Romanian or a Bulgarian soldier, that's a NATO operation. That is too high a risk and it's, it's not uh, likely to happen. What will happen will be covert operations that will also take... Uh, uh, place um, and different levels of the political um, yeah, political arena.
0: Okay, fantastic. So just to be clear, troops on the ground, never going to do it ever, no way, too risky. But covert action at all levels of the political spectrum, now that, that's perfectly fine. It's also much easier to fight a war that way when you don't have to put it to public debate and then put it to a vote in Congress. So you can do it covertly. Don't have to worry about any of those obstacles. Just some background on covert action real quick. A definition, I mean. Covert actions are defined by a 1984 executive order as special activities, both political and military, that the U.S. government could legally deny. So they can legally lie. You can legally lie. I don't know if that makes it a truth, but it's definitely a legal lie. And the CIA must have a presidential finding issued by the president to conduct these activities under the Intelligence Authorization Act. So the president would know about it, which explains why Biden said that there wasn't anything going on because that wasn't a lie. That was a legal lie, which is okay. Apparently. These findings are then monitored by the oversight committees in both the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives. These special activities include covert political influence and paramilitary operations. So... People in the House knew it. President knew it. This little chick knew it a month ago at the Chatham House. We knew it. But the New York Times is just now reporting on it as though it's some sort of groundbreaking revelation. One more definition from the Department of Defense who defines covert operation as an operation that is so planned and executed as to conceal the identity or permit plausible deniability to the sponsor. And it says, Covert operations are employed in situations where openly operating against a target would be disadvantageous. Oh, of course. And that's why you want plausible deniability. Obviously, you don't want them to know that you're doing something. Maybe you want them to think somebody else is doing it. And they also ask in the article, or they say in the article, that it's unclear what exactly the CIA personnel are doing. But I think with the very definition of covert operations here from the DOD, you get a little bit of insight into that because it goes on to say that covert operations may include sabotage, assassinations, support for coups, or support for subversion. Tactics include the use of false flag or front group. Well, that's probably what they're doing then. If that's the activities they engage in, and they do it for the sake of deniable plausibility, then I would say that answers the question of what type of activities. Maybe not all the way down to the specifics, but here we have covert operators that conduct false flags. Now it's openly admitted that they are operating in Ukraine, even though I don't know why it took the New York Times this long when we had the Chatham House talking about it over a month ago. And yet it was called misinformation or disinformation, actually, dangerous disinformation when something would happen in Russia and someone would say, hey, maybe that was some sort of false flag. It seemed a little too convenient. But now we're told that there are actually CIA operators over there doing covert ops And one of the activities that these operations do, that they engage in as part of their regular course of business, is false flags, front groups, sabotage. This does beg the question as to why they are telling us this. I mean, we knew it already from the Chatham House lady over a month ago, but why is the New York Times telling the broader public this? Perhaps they are trying to stir up a debate among the public, like what we saw a little bit of on Twitter today, to see if they have enough support to get congressional approval for a war, but I doubt that with gas prices and everything else going on here. Maybe this is another revelation of the method type thing designed to normalize the fact that America and our allies protect democracy worldwide by fighting wars covertly with spies. Similar to how they've normalized the use of just made-up stories, propaganda, in the beginning of this war, like the the, the pilot who shot down all the Russian pilots it was just totally made up or the soldiers on the island that were just massacred that turned out to be alive. And then the New York Times wrote a story about that telling us, yeah, those stories weren't true, but they were noble and they were told in service of all that's good in the face of pure evil. So it's OK that we lie to you. It's for your own good. Maybe it's another one of those things. I don't know. Maybe we weren't the main audience at all. Maybe Russia is a target audience here. Maybe they're baiting Russia into crossing whatever red line that we set, giving us a reason to justify entering a hot war over there. Maybe they're trying to get them to do something to us. They could also be trying to force Germany, I think it's France is the other one, into committing all the way to the war because there has been hesitancy from Germany, I, know, I think France also, to send as much aid as we've been sending there, Their unity and the solidarity with Ukraine and just giving everything to Ukraine has kind of been rattled a little bit. They actually talked about this in that panel discussion that I played the clip from, and they were trying to put pressure on them to get them to commit further to the war. Perhaps this is a way to do that by outing Germany as hosting American intel agents at one of their bases to conduct these operations. Force them to commit by outing them. What do you guys think? I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not all the way sure what to make of why we're being told this. I mean, we knew this was going on, but why were we told this? Why was the broader public told this? One thing I know is that this sure seems like a check off guns type story to me. So I think that this story will be coming back around and its purpose will become more clear when it does. Okay, so on top of that, we have President Biden yesterday at the G7 summit where he launched what's called the Partnership for Global Infrastructure and Investment, a $600 billion partnership, which is literally Build Back Better with new branding, and Build Back Better is Klaus Schwab's Great Reset model. Here's Biden introducing it
2: at the G7. Today, we officially launched the Partnership for Global Infrastructure and Investment. We collectively have dozens of projects already underway around the globe. And I'm proud to announce the United States will mobilize $200 billion in public and private capital over the next five years for that partnership. We're here today because we're making this commitment together as a G7 in coordination with one another to maximize the impact of our work. Collectively, we aim to mobilize nearly $600 billion from the g7 by 2027 these strategic investments are areas of critical to sustainable development and to our shared global stability health and health security digital connectivity gender equality and equity climate and energy security
0: gender equality and equity climate and energy security this is right out of klaus schwab's book The Great Narrative, The Great Reset, Stakeholder Capitalism, Fourth Industrial Revolution. These are all things that Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum talk about all the time, ruling the world through public-private partnerships and global corporations, billions of dollars worth being invested into this. And did you hear him in the beginning there when he started to call it one thing and realized he was supposed to say, sustainable, sustainable development goals, 2030 agenda, He is just peddling the Great Reset model right now. He goes on to list projects that they've already got going on in these areas. And he starts off with health, anticipating yet another pandemic. Here he is.
2: Let me give you some examples of the kinds of projects that are underway in each of these areas. First, health. Two years ago, COVID-19 didn't need any reminders about how critical investments in healthcare systems were. and health health security is, both to fight the pandemic and to prepare for the next one, because it will not be the last pandemic we we have to deal with. That's why the United States, together with the G7 partners and the World Bank, are investing in a new industrial-scale vaccine manufacturing facility in Senegal. When complete, we'll have the potential to produce hundreds of millions of doses of vaccine annually for COVID-19 and other diseases. It's an investment that will enhance global vaccine supplies as well as improve access and equity for developing countries. I don't know that these people
0: in these developing countries are going to want this vaccine right now when this is just an experiment that's being done on the public. They want to perfect this technology for themselves in the future, and they're using the broader public of the world as guinea pigs for it. And they're telling people that it's okay, that it's safe, when it absolutely is having lots and lots of problems around the globe. And the more people bring that up and point it out, the more they experience it themselves. The more they push the freaking vaccine, now they want to give it to kids. They want to give it to babies under five. Everybody celebrates. Vaccinate at the point of conception. Which, by the way, I don't know why progressives are so upset about the Roe v. Wade ruling by the Supreme Court. They're just going to have more babies to vaccinate now. Isn't that what they wanted? All right, here's the second thing that they're already working
2: on. Second, in the digital area, our economy's future increasingly depends on people's ability to connect to secure information and communications technologies. We need to strengthen the use of trusted technologies so that our online information cannot be used by autocrats to consolidate their power or repress their people. That's why the Digital Invest Program is mobilizing $335 million in private capital to supply secure network equipment in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And the U.S. government also supported the successful bid by an American company, Subcom, for a $600 million contract to build a global subsea telecommunications cable. This cable will stretch from Southeast Asia through the Middle East and the Horn of Africa to Europe. This will be essential to meeting the growing demand for reliable security, high-tech connectivity in three key regions of the world. This isn't about
0: protecting information, traveling. This is about controlling it. This is about trying to control all of the communication systems of the world through probably Google, probably Microsoft was another one, Amazon was the third. I can't remember what the fourth corporation was that works with a government that basically controls 90% of the underseas cables in the world, so like almost all of the information. So they're trying to get in there and connect Africa to the Borg, to their Borg, as opposed to China connecting them to their Borg. This is my favorite one. It's gender. They've already taken actions in the gender realm of this infrastructure plan that he's talking about. And when you hear this in light of the Roe v. Wade, it just seems like it's counter to what his own... Supreme Court just found. Third,
2: gender. When women and girls have the ability and the opportunity to participate more fully in their societies and economies, we see positive impacts not only in their communities, but around the board, across the board. We have to increase those opportunities, though, for women and girls to thrive, including practical steps to make child care more accessible and affordable as we continue the vital work to protect and advance women's fundamental rights. The United States is committing $15 million over five years to the World Bank Global Child Care Incentive Fund. This public-private partnership supported by several G7 partners will help countries build infrastructure that makes it easier for women to participate equally, equally in the labor force.
0: This is actually another example of how the Great Reset works. You have a public-private partnership on a global scale do things that democracy won't do or isn't doing and they hold up i talked on the show yesterday the supreme court they're gonna they're showcasing it as the failure of the united states government and instead they have these corporations that are going to step in now you have biden announcing his plan public private global partnership to push forward this great reset agenda despite the supreme court overruling roe v wade
2: i'll lead the u.s whole of government approach to drive a coalition and a collaboration with the G7 and our partners around the world, including private sector and multilateral development banks. I want to be clear. This isn't aid or charity. It's an investment that will deliver returns for everyone, including the American people and the people of all our nations. It will boost all of our economies. It's a chance for us to share our positive vision for the future and let communities around the world See themselves and see for themselves the concrete benefits of partnering with democracies, because when democracies demonstrate what we can do, all that we have to offer, I have no doubt that we'll win the competition every time. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks, Joe. There's nothing democratic about this. This doesn't have anything to do with democracies uniting. What this has to do with a bunch of globalists who are trying to control the world through public-private partnerships from the top down. And they're trying to impose their system of progressive values on all of us. And they're not going to allow people outside of that to operate. They want to make sure that you and everybody else, whether you want to or not, behaves in a way that a progressive behaves and adopts those values. Here is a quote from Klaus Schwab's Stakeholder Capitalism book where he is talking about how a primary principle for the implementation of stakeholder capitalism is – Subsidiary. He says it should immediately become clear how this principle applies to the global challenges of our economic system today. Consider first the climate crisis. And the climate crisis is part of the global infrastructure and investment plan. And it says on the White House page that as part of the plan, it includes tackling the climate crisis and bolstering global energy security through investments in climate resilient infrastructure. Now back to what Klaus is saying about how the climate crisis must be addressed. He says, It should become immediately clear how this principle applies to the global challenges of our economic system today. Consider first the climate crisis. It makes sense to coordinate this challenge first on the global level. Attempting to address it at any lower level would be ineffective. Only if everyone around the world moves into the same direction will climate action have any noticeable effect. And relying on local action in absence of coordination would also expose everyone involved to a free rider effect. Indeed, communities that would opt out of a climate agreement would benefit twice. Once from enjoying the climate improvements that result from others' efforts and again from sustaining their desired way of life. Regardless of how much pollution they produce, Klaus Schwab wants to control your behavior at the most local level down to the individual. He does not want the individual to have any independent thought, any independent action, any values that differ from the progressive values of the Great Reset. And Joe Biden is bringing America into a global public-private partnership to help bring that forward regardless of what you and your community might want, regardless of the programs you might want to do on your own or not want to do, regardless of if you don't agree with, quote, the science behind all of it. What these heads of state are discussing at these summits are plans to bring forth the Great Reset. They're very bad plans at that, but that is what they're discussing. All right, shifting gears here a little bit to the January six hearings, which they had postponed hearings this week. They were going to have hearings for a couple of weeks. They were pouring through all this video footage from a documentary guy who apparently they thought they had some stuff on Trump they could find in there. But stop the press. They're holding an emergency hearing today. They announced it yesterday abruptly after announcing that they were canceling it and they were going to be waiting for a while. But now what we have is Cassidy Hutchinson, she's an aide to former White House staff Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and a witness to what CNN calls many critical events and conversations, is expected to testify today before this select committee investigating January 6th. Her planned appearance was first reported by Punchbowl News. Good for them. Good for Punchbowl. I've never heard of them, but I'm sure we'll see her today. I do believe that. Apparently, she's going to be providing crucial testimony to the panel about significant exchanges among Donald Trump's inner circle in the weeks before January 6th. I have a clip to play for you.
2: Welcome back to State of the Union. As the January 6th committee presents its case that former President Trump pushed to overturn the 2020 presidential election, Republican voters in South Carolina ousted one of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach the former president over his role in the January 6th erection.
0: And that is certainly what Adam Schiff is going to get today during this panel. He gets a
2: January 6th erection.
0: The panel has not revealed the topic of the hearing today, which will start at 1 p.m. Eastern time. We're coming right up on it. going to be really exciting. going to be the sixth hearing this month. A source familiar with the committee's plans told CNN earlier yesterday that the panel was concerned about the security of a potential witness ahead of Tuesday's hearing. The safety of the witness and the proceedings in general is in part why the committee has been so secretive about who would appear on Tuesday and what topics would be discussed. I don't believe that for a second. They want everybody to think that she was going to be under attack by somebody. I don't, I, I'm not buying this at all. Nobody's even paying attention to this thing. The security concerns have led to new precautions being taken inside the hearing room. Another source told CNN that some of the people who had regular front row seats for the hearing were told they likely will not get them today. Wow, I'm sorry, Brian Stelter. You're not going to be able to sit in your typical front row seat and play with your insurrection. I got two more stories about the same subject for the last story of the Free 30. And... Before I do that, I do want to tell you what we will be talking about in the DMBXR, which will not come out until later today. So, the Free 30 is going to come out a little earlier. The DMBXR is going to come out separately later this afternoon. And that's going to be, most likely we're going to be talking about the campaign ads that Democrats have raised a whole bunch of money in the wake of the Roe v. Wade ruling. And they've also already pumped out some ads condemning the ruling, and I want to go through some of those ads. I want to play some clips and analyze some of these campaign ads. I like doing that kind of stuff. So we're going to do that. It's going to be a little bit later this afternoon, though. But for the final story of the Free 30 here, you know, it doesn't get any better than a good Joe Biden story. Joe Biden, Hunter Biden story here. As this being reported that Joe Biden inadvertently helped Hunter pay Russian hookers. Joe accidentally helped pay for his son to have sex with honeypots from Russia. According to the Washington Examiner, President Biden wired his son Hunter $100,000 to help him pay bills from December 18th through January 2019. These records came from the laptop Hunter Biden left at the computer repair shop in Delaware. Hunter, meanwhile, had spent more than $30,000 on sex workers between November 2018 and March 2019, including many linked to Russia based email addresses, and connected to an exclusive modeling agency called Uber GFE. (laughs) Uber didn't have a little screenshot of Uber GFE here. And you can see the best part about the website screenshot that they have is, so you have three chicks in the middle of it. They're all wearing red. One of them is propped up on a desk, kind of showing your backside a little. And the other, they're all kind of fuzzied out, the faces. But the other is sitting like she's on the front page of a uh, Sports Illustrated. There's one girl on the front who's feeling her breast on the front of the, the pictures. It's a very provocative set of photos on this Uber GFE, and it says available in New York, and then it has a welcome and it has a rating for each of these girls, I'm assuming that these are. And then right there at the top of the website, it says, hashtag support Ukraine. So at least we know that the hookers that Joe Biden was paying his son to have sex with are standing in solidarity with Ukraine. Perhaps they're laying on their backs in solidarity with Ukraine. I don't know. This was obviously a a screenshot taken from much later than 2018, 2019. Unless they just always stand in solidarity with Ukraine. President Biden also wired Hunter $5,000 while Hunter was, quote, actively engaged with one escort and also... Joe was convinced to send another $20,000 to pay for Hunter's stay at a New York drug rehabilitation program that never came to fruition, according to the report. There is no indication, however, that Joe Biden knew some of the money he sent his son was going to be spent on sex workers. In February of 2019, a message to a woman named Eva, Hunter Biden told the point of contact at U Uber GFE that his accounts were temporarily frozen since trying to pay her workers with a Russian email account was too much of a red flag for his bank. (laughs) Eva referred to Hunter using his first name, Robert, in the text message photo show. She also asked him to send funds by wire, like he did it before. Send me Julia and I will give her cash, Hunter replied. Okay, said Eva. In another instance, Joe Biden wired Hunter $5,000 less than three hours before he filmed a dispute with an escort regarding a $10,000 payment at a cottage in Boston. Eva told Hunter Biden in January 2019 that the total charge for 16 hours with an escort would be $9,500. It's about 600 bucks an hour. And, and then she directed him to wire the funds to a bank account linked to a woman with a Russian email address. Less than 90 minutes later, Hunter got an email informing him that Joseph R. Biden had sent him $5,000 via Cash App. <laughs> Joe Biden's assistant at the time, Richard Ruffner, also texted Hunter saying the amount was the most allowed since the weekly limit is 7500 according to the report. So he had, a, he had an allowance limit. Biden later texted Hunter to check if the funds went through, but he didn't get a response that evening. Well, he was busy. He got that money. So Hunter appeared to dispute the payment amount in the text messages to Eva and sent her video of himself having a conversation with the escort asking if he had ever hurt her, <laughs> oh, this is perfect. Have I ever been anything but respectful, Hunter asked. What as though you get charged more if you're disrespectful to the prostitute? Is he already trying to, look, you had a good time. I shouldn't have to pay you this much. Hunter at the time claimed he was so broke he couldn't afford to rent a pair of skis In a text message to his sister-in-law turned lover, Holly Biden, or Haley. And this was just one day before filming the video with a sex worker. That's something else right there, too. Going in and having sex with a prostitute, knowing that you don't have the money to pay the prostitute. But the prostitute knows who you are, so they think that you're going to have the money. So he's going in with no money, knowing that he's going to text his dad or whoever's responding to his dad, and get that money sent over right away to pay the prostitute. Or he tried to talk his way out of it, because I guess he was respectful. Now, I'm wondering if he was with his... Sister-in-law turned lover at the time he was with the prostitutes. I'm guessing probably. He's pro- he's probably a guy who is consistently seeing prostitutes. Uh, it's probably not a long period of time that Hunter Biden goes without visiting a prostitute. It was probably like most people go to the gym. Not every day, but you know, people who casually go to the gym go once a week, maybe twice a week. That's probably about Hunter Biden's prostitute schedule. In all, Hunter Biden doled out more than thirty thousand dollars to Russian escorts linked to Eva and Uber GFE between November 2018 and March 2019. Hunter also searched for D.C. Russian escorts, of course, (laughs) and visited Uber GFE website to look for sex workers in Boston using his iPhone XS, a copy of his abandoned laptop shows. (laughs) All of that information does go on your computer, I'm telling you. You don't realize it until you see it, but all your text messages and stuff, if you have an iPhone, it'll transfer right to your computer without you realizing it. Eva had to chase Hunter Biden for payment for escort services for six weeks. She ultimately directed him to wire funds to a bank account linked to a woman with distinctly Eastern European names, according to the report. Okay, so that's my favorite story of the day. There's no doubt about that. But this idea that President Biden, he wasn't president at the time, obviously, inadvertently sent his money, sent money to his son and paid for his son's hookers. His son had a, had a problem with prostitutes. It probably still does. And a drug problem. He was addicted to drugs. And he's sending him money on a regular basis. I mean, the guy was 50. He was getting a weekly allowance of $7,500. That's $30,000 a month. He's getting $300,000 a year minimum from his dad. He's using it to pay for hookers and drugs. How do you not know that money you're giving to your drug-addicted son is going to be used on drugs? You're just going to give him $30,000 a month? I mean, he's already on the board of, of Burisma and all these other companies. Is that not enough money all the way? You know he's going to spend that money on drugs and prostitutes. So they say he inadvertently gave his son that money, who apparently his son wasn't even paying the prostitutes like he was supposed to be. I mean, they had to chase him down. The the Sounds like the pimp for this prostitute he saw was uh, another female Russian had to chase him down. Of course, they were collecting intel, and compromising him the whole time, so that's probably part of it also. But I do not accept that it was just old good old Joe Biden trying to help out his son. He just loves his son so much. You know when somebody's a drug addict and you give him a bunch of money, they're going to spend that money on drugs. And in his case, I have a hard time believing that Joe didn't know that Hunter had a little bit of a prostitute problem. So Joe doesn't really get off on that one either. So if Joe did not know that his son, who was a drug addict, was going to spend that money on drugs and prostitutes that he's probably not smart enough to be president. We probably don't need to trust him to take care of these international summits if he was sending all that money to us. Although I say that, he's publicly sending billions of dollars to Vladimir Zelensky on a regular basis, and I'm sure Vladimir Zelensky sees Russian hookers all the time. I mean, he's probably always got Russian hookers around him, and he probably never pays them anymore. Who knows? All right, that's going to wrap up the show for today. If you do want to check out that XR material that will be dropping later this afternoon you can go to patreon.com propagandareport and subscribe there all right we will talk to y'all next time have a fantastic rest of your day